Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. Hey guys, welcome to The First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Vanek. I'm sitting across from Alexis Linkletter and next to Billy Jensen, who are also your hosts. Do you guys like how I usually just say I am the only host? I was thinking about that the other day because I was like, I'm also a host. <laughs> I also do 95% of the work. Yeah. <laughs> Why am I getting thrown under the bus by well, Jack? And I was walking, watching your show and Becca was like, I'm Becca Tobin with Jack Vanek and Kelsey. I'm like, why doesn't she do it like that? <laughs> I was watching your show this morning. Morning before I saw you, so I could be like, I saw it. So I just say, I'm Jack. Next to Alexis and Billy, we are your collective hosts. I thought it was pretty obvious. I didn't take it personally. I mean, it's pretty obvious. We're all sitting here right. and talking exactly. and on the podcast. All right. So Billy, it is December 12th. All right. What, we, what, we've what's, got some good ones for you. What's today? National. Today what? is National 12 Hour Fresh Breath Day. What? That's right. And after the 13th hour, you're on your own. <laughs> 12 hours? 12 hours. ran out of days. Do you think you know it was what? like sponsored by Listerine? Or dentists? Maybe. But even more importantly, it's the Festival of Unmentionable Thoughts Day. <gasps> like Ooh. sex thoughts? Like also known, thoughts. Also oh. known as Taboo Day. Ooh. Oh, like sex. Or murder. <laughs> or both. Okay, what do you think? What's an unmentionable thought that has led to him? All of them led to murders, I guess. You know what? Cannibal Cop, but which didn't turn out to be a crime. I don't know what Cannibal, cannibal Cop is. Cannibal Cop is? Mm-hmm. All cannibal right. Cop. Uh, this is Cop that wrote a, a lot of weird stuff on the internet, and it turns out. Uh, it was kind of whether we should um, police kind of thought, oh. because he never went off and did anything, oh. but he, yes. It's a very interesting 1984. Case. Yes. Uh, I guess it could You know what? Unmentionable thoughts could have been the internet Satan a little bit. A hundred percent. I mean, if you just made the owl poem that and didn't send it. Exactly. He sent it. So, all right. Uh, December twelfth is also my father's birthday. Oh, happy Aww. birthday, Daddy yes. Jensen! And also, it was uh, Bill Senior, Frank Sinatra's birthday, and Bill Butel's birthday. How do you know these things? I, because it's my dad's birthday, so he would always say it. Okay, so you guys know the premise of our podcast. We are telling stories through the first person perspective of somebody that was connected or involved. So, a lot of our Episodes are probably stories that you've never heard of, but I'm sure when you clicked on this episode and saw the name of the story, you knew exactly what we we're going to be talking about. You know the story, or at least have heard the phrase, don't drink the Kool-Aid. So we got approached to do this episode by a few people that were so closely involved to Jonestown, it's actually mind-blowing. And we're covering this because it is the 40th anniversary, which just passed on November 18th, happened in 1978, of the Jonestown Massacre, as it's known. And it was something that has not been seen in before or since, at least uh, when it deals with Americans. Mm -hmm. There were 
909 individuals that died in Jonestown, a total of 918 when you talk about the people that, that died at the tarmac. tarmac. And it actually was the biggest amount or, or the most amount of civilians that died on purpose until 9-11 in terms of Americans. Yeah, other than like a natural disaster. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in terms of Americans. And it shook the nation and it really did shake the foundations of what we consider to be religion and religious fervor and cult and all that stuff. And we're going to investigate all of that and also investigate why this happened. Why did these 918 people die? And it really leads to one man. And we're going to learn about him from the people that were right there. And today we have, we're very spoiled in that I'm the most excited about these guests so far since we started this podcast. We have Jim Jones Jr., who is exactly what he sounds like. He is, <laughs> spoiler alert, <laughs> Jim Jones's adopted son. And he did an amazing interview with us. And we also have a woman named Jordan Vilchez, who was in Guyana and survived. And we also have the executive producer of Terror in the Jungle, the new Sundance documentary series that was released on November 17th to commemorate, like you said, 40 years since it happened. And he wrote a book on this and he's just a total expert and he had some really interesting insight that will really add to what our two true first degree connections have to say. So I don't know how much you guys know about Jonestown or Jim Jones himself, but he was very meticulous and he pretty much recorded almost every single thing that he said or that happened in Jonestown. So the actual mass murder was recorded. So we'll be playing some footage for that throughout the episode. So this is your warning. It's very graphic and it's very highly emotional. So listener discretion. And now is audio from the Jonestown massacre. Jim Cobb is laying on the airfield dead at this moment. Remember the, the, the uh, Oliver woman said she she come over and kill me if her sons wouldn't stop her. These, these, these are people the peddlers of hate. All we're doing is laying down our life. We're not letting them take our life. We're laying down our life. We're taking their lives. We just want peace. Talking to them, all the time taking a drink to take to go to sleep. That's what death is, sleep. I'm tired of it all. With that, with the green tea in, please. Bring it here so the adults can begin. Egg you, don't, don't fail to follow my advice. You'll be sorry. You'll be sorry. That we do it and that they do it. Us trust you, you have to step across. We used to think this world, this world's not our home. Well, it sure isn't. We've set an example for others. We've set 1,000 people who say we don't like the way the world is. Take our life from us. We laid it down. We got tired. We didn't commit suicide. We committed an act of revolutionary suicide protesting the conditions of an inhumane world. We're going to talk about how this happened, but we're also going to talk about the social and political climate that existed back then to allow this psychopath like Jim Jones take advantage of those who were f- and felt marginalized, oppressed, and that 
they needed to belong. And that's what you saw a lot in, I mean, that's what you saw with Manson. That's what you saw with a lot of people that were able to take advantage of certain individuals, had a certain charisma that they were able to use, mm-hmm. and then use it to their own advantage, whatever it was. And we're going to go through and, sh- and show how he used that to this his advantage, and then how he eventually said, the game is up. But this wasn't, and we're also going to talk about that, this wasn't an isolated incident, and this wasn't something that was on a spur of the moment. This was actually planned. It was rehearsed. And we're going to get into all that. I do want to talk about the misconception that a lot of people get of people that join cults. Number one, nobody joins a cult thinking it's a cult. People are joining cults, especially with Jim Jones and the People's Temple. They thought that they were doing good in the world and they were, you know, um, spearheading this movement that was going to make the world a better place. And it's just I I hate when people demonize the people that end up joining these cults because most of the people that join cults are educated. We like in Rajneesh, there is a bunch of people that were doctors and architects and lawyers. And it does not mean that those people are unintelligent. It's mostly searching for a reason and trying to do good in the world. Totally. And it totally reduces people to punchlines about Kool-Aid. It's not empathetic. It's not compassionate. People died and there's jokes about Kool-Aid, you know, because you're like, oh, they're gullible, they're lemmings, whatever. Everybody has a personal story about why they joined it, why they had the sense to belong, what pain they were suffering that motivated them to join or seek something out that made them feel better or made them feel like they were part of a community. Right. Yeah. And that's what it is. It's, It's usually it's belonging. Yeah. That's something that is inclusive. And they were alienated by something and they felt like they needed to be belong to something. And right. then that's that's what happened. So, you know, define the word cult, since I'm the one that has a degree, two degrees in, in religious studies, <laughs> cool. a master's degree and a, a bachelor's degree. But, you know, the word cult means to worship. It's derived from the same root as culture and cultivation. It describes... You know, rituals and offerings intended to cultivate the favor of the gods and saints and holy figures and and wherever you want. Uh, Then, you know, sort of by the mid-20th century, you started to see it turn a little bit. Now, as far as what a cult is, we weren't allowed to call them cults in grad school. Anyway, when did the term cult get coined? Like, as as we see it today, was that – is that something that kind of only came – about like in the 60s well, and 70s? No, th- I mean, there, was, there were always cults, like the Mithraic cult in, in ancient Rome. I mean, there were always cults that were around and they were smaler was it the new religious panic, movements. Like era? It was not the Satanic Panic. Was the Satanic Panic, panic, panic like that. the 90s? No, it was the, the 80s, 80s. Like the McMartin case uh-huh. and Paradise Lost and everything. That was the 80s. Mm. So it was before that. So in school, I went to go study cults. This was my focus, mm. but we didn't call them cults. We called them new religious movements. Oh. You could not call them cults. Why? Because that was considered a taboo word. You did not want to, because it had such a, a, a awful connotation to it because of places like Jonestown. Right. So I studied new religious movements. Now I focused, because I have a true crime bent, I focused on Christian apocalyptic cults, particularly in the white supremacist movement, which are part of, you know, which actually kind of started in the 80s with the order and ended at Oklahoma City. Once Oklahoma City happened, they they all said, we don't want anything to do with that. Yeah. And he was tangentially involved with that, even though uh, McVeigh wasn't really into that cult. You know, there were, there were, he, he shared friends that were into that. So uh, 
and then they all went away because they didn't want to be involved in it. Now we're seeing it rise up again, and you know we're seeing it rise with the. They don't call themselves white supremacists anymore, but they call themselves nationalists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's that's where we're at. And you've got a lot of different types of cults that are out there. There's doomsday cults. There is oh racist cults. There's polygamous cults. There's terrorist cults. There's a lot of cults. It definitely is not a term that's going to um, uh, get Wayne. any better. Uh, you know, if you're going to start an organization, you're not going to want to call it a cult. And this is one of the reasons why. Because well, of Nexium, this, yeah. current popularity of these cult stories does give us a unique opportunity for these stories we think we all know to be told a little differently, maybe more sympathetically and with an emphasis on the humanity of the followers rather than the gory, sadistic details of the psychopathic leaders. And ultimately, like we touched on earlier, cult stories are human stories and the search for meaning in a better life. We can all relate to that. We can all see a little bit of ourselves in each one of these persons reasons for joining a cult. Right. I mean, whether we all have little holes we're trying to fill with whatever we're doing. And these people obviously were less fortunate in some ways where they sought cults out. Maybe they didn't have parents, family, lack of purpose. I mean, any- again, it's like we're all just searching for some sense of belonging and maybe something that's like a little that's bigger than ourselves. We're all just trying not to feel like shit. Yeah. <laughs> so whatever like a piece of garbage. Exactly. Yeah. So whatever that is, we're seeking it out. So as you know, this is a crazy story. So we're going to get started. And contrary to what I just said, I know we want to focus on the followers and the humanity of them. But we've got to start with Jim Jones. To gotta. Get there. Gotta. gotta. Exactly. So people are wondering how Jim Jones, a man who preached racial and social equality and stood for all of these wonderful, amazing things during his career, how did he turn so evil? His need to control people, his deceit, and his anger towards people who betray or abandon him could be traced all the way back to his childhood, which it usually can, in Indiana. He was a loner during his youth, and he would entertain the few friends that he had in the loft of his family's barn by performing experiments on animals and conducted funerals for them. And I did read somewhere, I don't know if it's true, but apparently he did murder a cat to give it a funeral once. Which red is flag. A number one red flag. Um, and he was born on May 13th, 1931, which a fun fact is the day before my birthday, in the rural area of Crete, Indiana. That's a special day for me. Sorry. Did you get married that day? No. What, wait, why is that a special day? <laughs> what is that face? What the f*** did you do on that day, you psychopath? Is it like the day you went to Disneyland for the first time? No. <laughs> what was it? It's a it's the day. What? It's a, it's an important day in every really? uh, boy's life. Is the you day you had your first wet yeah. dream? You lost your virginity oh. on May thirteenth. It was Friday thirteenth. Okay. Oh my oh god! My god. His smile was the creepiest thing. <laughs> Billy's or Jim Jones's? No, Billy's. <laughs> Probably <laughs> creepier not... than Jim Jones's. <laughs> oh Christ! Oh my god! Want a drink? Okay, here we go. So he grew up really poor. He was in a shack without plumbing. He had this alcoholic father who was kind of associated with the KKK, which had gained a pretty strong, you know, a fairly good foothold in Depression era Indiana. But despite these influences of his father, he came to sympathize with the country's repressed African-American community due to his own experiences as this social outcast. People just thought he was kind of a weird kid. So he later recounted how he and his father clashed on the issue of race and how he did not speak with his father for many, many years after he refused to allow one of Jones's black friends into the house. As a child, he was super obsessed with religion. His mother was the breadwinner and she worked in a factory. She became an activist and that obviously translated over to Jim. 
He later said that he joined the Pentecostal church because they were the most hated and they were outcasts. He was very interested in social justice, and he spoke to people who were disenfranchised. He preached equality, but his inner circle was all white. And that's an interesting fact because that also translates later into the People's Temple. Mm-hmm. In 1949, the year after he graduated high school, he married Marceline. Am I saying that right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Marceline Baldwin, and she was a nurse. In 1952, he became a student pastor at the Somerset Southside Methodist Church, but later claimed that he left the church because its leaders barred him from integrating blacks into his congregation. So then Jim and Marceline Jones adopted several children of the least partly non-Caucasian ancestry, and he referred to his household as his rainbow family. And he stated that integration is a more personal thing with me now. It's a question of my son's future. I was reading, too, that 1951 was kind of a weird turning point from him in that that's when he started attending meetings of the Communist Party in Indianapolis. All these open communists would get together and discuss communism and how to make the the country communist. And at that point is when he kind of asked himself, like, how can I demonstrate my Marxism? And his thought was religion. Religion is the opiate of the masses, obviously. How do I get to people? It's through their through their religion. Right. Right. And that's kind of was a moment for him to be like, huh. And I think that's how he designed his future or at least his goals, his goals. Right. To infiltrate. And these were yeah, yes. influence the United States. And in the beginning here, these are noble goals. Yeah. And this is why a lot of people were drawn to the Communist Party back then. It was because they were saying everybody is equal. Everybody is part of the society. You see how socially stratified the society is right now, and especially how racist the society yeah. is after World War II and certainly before. You know, he, he was looking for an answer, you know, and he was actually practicing what he was what he eventually would start preaching too. Mm-hmm. He, he adopted all these kids. He was doing all this stuff. He's looking like a really great guy, socially conscious forward guy yeah. right now. He is. And like you said, he was practicing what he was preaching, and he was actually the first white parent in Indiana to adopt a black child. So oh, really? Was, exactly. So, and that's who Jim Jones Jr. is, who we have right now, and he's going to tell you all about that. I'm Jim Jones Jr., the first black, first African-American child adopted in Indiana by, by Caucasians, and um, I was raised in the, the Jones family. Um, I'm, I'm currently in pharmaceutical medical cells. I have a clinical background. And um, I think my pride, I think that there's two pride, prideful moments. One, being the first adopted African-American child. And two, coordinating this 40th anniversary and the renovation of the Jonestown Memorial that we're going to have a celebration of life. We're not recognizing the 918 people who died, including the congressmen and people and at the air, air, airstrip and in Georgetown, but we were recognizing the people who have survived and what they've done to maintain that commitment to the cause and get up every day and still fight for it. So we're going to talk about exactly how Jim Jones escaped death in the Jonestown massacre and how he survived later on. But one of the first things, of course, I wanted to ask him is how it felt to be one of the few survivors of the Jonestown Massacre. And he had some really interesting things to say. 
you actually felt why, you actually asked me why were you still living when everyone you loved was dead. I don't know if that's survivor guilt or post-traumatic stress syndrome, but you you asked yourself why were you living when everyone you loved, my wife, my unborn child, 16 members of my uh, immediate family, 909 people of my extended family, why were you still alive? And you immediately went into that question, why Why were you still around? I think the powerful moment that happened, I call it the band of brothers, but my brothers and I, Stephen, Tim, and Johnny, and Mike Touchet, and, and others, we kind of made a promise to each other to never give up on life. We knew how we felt right then, losing our loved ones, and we weren't going to lose, uh, we were not going to lose each other. And I got to tell you, over the last 40 years, I've held on to that promise. When things were difficult, and you know, you, you wonder why you're existing. Now, again, I've, I've remarried, and I have three sons, and so I have a, this whole new purpose in life. But, you know, you know, immediately after, there, there was a, a great depression or a great question of why were you still around when, when your whole life had ended. This wonderful adoption happens, and Jim Jones does seem to be implementing and really living this ideology that he's preaching. But is it authentic? I mean, of course, we ask this in hindsight. Was this authentic, or were these kind of props to attract people to his cause? You know, oh, this guy's really living it. He's breaking these kind of, like, boundaries within the state. I mean, no one has adopted a a child from a different race. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of an interesting question. Yeah, he's extremely progressive. Everybody loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story. So it's going to take you back to the glamour of the 1920s with a diverse cast of characters. I'm really feeling this because Lex and I both are really like into Gatsby stuff right now. So I am loving the vibe of this game. And you're going to step into the role as June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. It's perfect for all of the firsties out there. There's mystery, danger, and romance as you search for hidden objects from the parlors of New York to the sidewalks of Paris. And you can customize your very own luxuries a state island. Think expansive gardens and beautiful buildings and collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Okay, so listen, we are busy ladies over here on The First Degree, and when I have a moment of free time, I don't want to spend it grocery shopping. I want to spend it rotting on the couch and watching reality TV, and that is why I love Thrive Market. So Thrive Market is a go-to for all of my grocery and household essentials, and the convenience of getting everything online then quickly shipped to my doorstop is such a huge time saver. So Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. They actually restrict hundreds of ingredients across their food and cleaning categories. So you can go on their website and use their filters to suit any of your lifestyle needs. If you're allergic to a certain ingredient, if you just don't want to have it in your life, that's why Thrive Market is so awesome. So whether you're looking for organic snacks for your kids or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free pantry essentials, you can curate your own shopping experience with just a few clicks. 
clicks. I love this so much because I don't want to read every ingredient when I go to the grocery store. It's so easy to do it online, honestly, when I'm rotting on the couch. So join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order, plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash first for 30% off your first order, plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash first. Thrivemarket.com slash first. Fuel up fast with Factors restaurant quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. No prepping, no cooking, or cleanup needed. There's over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. And there are more than 60 add ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Get started today and get after your goals. Plus, Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. For me, I was really struggling to get enough protein. I always do. But Factor's meals are protein-packed, and they're so good. And it's so easy when I'm slammed busy working in the middle of the day to just have lunch right there, not needing to do anything, except heat it up. Head to factormeals.com slash firstdegree50 and use code DEGREE50 to get 50% off. That's code DEGREE50 at factormeals.com slash firstdegree50 to get 50% off. So then in 55, he founds the People's Temple of the Disciples of Christ in Indianapolis. And the church really stands out because it has this multiracial membership which, as you were saying, Alexis, is pretty revolutionary for a time of such severe racial segregation. This is in the Deep South, but it's still, it's the Midwest, and it's not good. But this guy's doing it. You know, the fundamental belief of this People's Temple was of equality, a place where members, and the majority of them were racial minorities, could live free of discrimination. And he really was doing something that was radically different than what you were seeing down the block. Totally. And we've already touched on the fact that he adopted an African-American child, but he didn't just do that. He also named him Jim Jones. I mean, he was truly embracing this culture. So you are like, you are my lineage. Exactly. Like you are my namesake, like seemed very, very real. He was doing this, right? And he was obviously either really living this or trying to attract people based on what he was doing or who knows if it's authentic in hindsight, whatever. Right. But what was he offering his members? Like what we know kind of what he was preaching. It was very progressive, social justice, equality, inclusiveness. But what did the people's temple congregation have to offer his marginalized members? So Jim Jones offered his mainly black congregation opportunities in social justice, social justice activism that weren't available literally anywhere else. So it's super, um, it, it seems awesome for these people that had no other place to go. And they had a, a rehab, a senior citizen home. They housed the homeless. They had daycare and a medical clinic. And the temple fed pensioners. They taught students. And they took bus trips to spread the word. So they were doing good. He had managed to gain a ton of momentum. And this was very, very, very provocative mm-hmm. and new for the time, especially in Indiana. I mean, Indiana is still conservative. Yeah. His message, although it it maintained its consistency in terms of the equality and things like that, started to lean a little differently. And he talked less about God and more about social transformation in almost apocalyptic ways. And Billy, I mean, I know you studied this at, at length, but, you know, that's kind of the dangerous rhetoric in religion 
that can really make people uncomfortable, understandably, because you have these really radical tactics on recruiting and keeping members by conjuring fear and with manipulation and in threats of like the end of the world. And I was watching this documentary and his son, Stephen, who's his biological son, said that his dad had this remarkable power in being able to look at you and know what's important to you and how to conjure fear. And then oh. how to fill that void and how to make that person feel safe kind of yeah, thing. Like and he then, knows exactly what you need to hear. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And this is – and they used to say that Manson used to do the same thing, by yeah. the way. Manson used to be able to look at you. And, and it was the same thing. What are you going to say well, to, to a girl who's 16 years old who obviously has left, left their family and just say, yeah, I know, like nobody listens to you and your family doesn't understand you. Like, and the girl's like, yes, I will totally do whatever they No, but that's, that's like the thing. There are so many – there aren't so many people like that, but there are certain people that when you talk to them, you feel like they know you immediately and you feel like that you're the only person in the world when they're talking to you. So I'm sure he had that like almost magnetic, magical. You always hear that about Clinton. Yeah, When, exactly. when Clinton no, talks to you, that's it. you so feel I was like you're the most important person in the world. I was listening to the last podcast about Jonestown and they compared him to Clinton in that way where it's like they knew your name. They knew your family, your wife's name, your kid's name, what was going wrong in your life. Like. If, if anything's better, like they knew exactly what to say to make it seem like that they give a shit. There is books you can read that teach you how to do it. Yeah. Well, and also having people around you that are like, this is John. He had his wife died last year. But not only that, it's like there's a whole combination of like body language and things you can say. And like if you read The Art of Seduction, yeah, it will literally tell you what kind of seducer you are and how to play up your abilities and what kind of person victim they call it, you should be going after based on your, what you your have. Your power, yeah. Exactly. So it's like they're, I read it, but only because <laughs> you're trying to seduce a man. I work in this world and I was like, huh, you know, I, I just wanted to see what there was to it. And I think the same author wrote a book called The 48 Laws of Power, I think it's called, or four, yeah. And people in prison read it because it's how to like get and keep power. And it's, it's a very, mm, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there are books that like teach you how to hone this, but honestly, I don't think a book could help you. I think it's, no, you, I feel like it's an don't. innate ability. It's like you either have it or you Yeah. Don't. You could try to like contrive it. I just don't think it would work. No, I think not. some people, you've got the guys that read that book, the game. Oh my oh God. My and they God. come up and they say something. I'm like, you read a f-ing bad book. Mystery. Dude. Remember him? They try to just neg you. Do you remember they mystery? Neg- yeah. with the, the pickup artist. I loved him. We used to watch that. I know. Cause I used to want to date him back in the day. Cause I loved him and Chris Angel. Cause he was peacocking. Yeah. Peacocking, negging. The whole thing, but that's what is it? Can, can you explain negging for me for a second? Negging is like, too. yeah, you insult yeah. somebody, but what, just... what would be the insult? Insult be like those jeans are great on you. No. You should have gotten them. Like, like if you came up to me, like, oh, it looks like you really want someone to buy you a drink. Oh, like it's it's not an insult, but it's like an underhanded, like, oh, like did you get all dressed up tonight for nothing? Yeah, something like not where you're like, what did you mean? Yeah, you're like kind of confused. It's an underhanded compliment. Was tonight a compliment? Complete waste. It's of like, makeup. oh my god, you you look, yeah. You so know? so like, now you're you're gonna try and get that guy because you're gonna be like, screw that guy. No, I'm because they try, give yeah. you like a little bit, and like it is a compliment, kind of. So it's like you're getting it, but they're like, also oh, taking do you it not away want me to waste my night of makeup. Like, but honestly, this is what Jim Jones would do. It's like he's giving and taking away at the same time, so it's confusing. But then also, you want more of that in conjuring fear. He makes right. you feel good for a second, and then he's like, yeah, like it's literally it's, it's segregation. Your family's not gonna eat soon, and you're like, oh shit, and then. Like this white guy is giving you attention. Right. Well, it's an abusive relationship. It's it's very smart. Anyways. So at at some point he turns and you you see this a lot. 
when a leader starts moving away from the book or moving away from the scripture and starts really putting their own stuff into it, or they start really, really focusing on the book of Revelation and focusing on the end of the world. And this is what he was doing. He was doing both of this stuff. So he gets way more messianic. People start kind of leaving the church. And he also starts doing a little bit of faith healing and things like that. Oh, God. He goes to... but, but with, the ch- with the chicken guts and shit? We'll get there. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes, yes. The tumors and the chicken livers. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he leaves Indianapolis to go to California. And when he's there, for some something changes in him. And I don't know whether it was before that or when he went to California, when he starts thinking about nuclear holocaust and the end of the world. But there's this switch that goes on in him where he goes from maybe he was messed up all along, and he probably was because he was doing all that stuff with the the pets and everything. Yeah. 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 He was able to hide it for a little bit. And, I mean, he was such a such uh, considered such a pillar in the community that the mayor appointed him to be director of the city's Human Rights Commission. I mean, th- this this was like a guy that was oh, – yeah. he wasn't on the fringe in the sense of he's out there like in Waco, you know, and, no, and getting a bunch of oh, guns delivered to him. He was involved. He yeah. was doing it. Well, politicians wanted to win his vote because uh, Harvey controlled... Milk was like going to his shit. No, he could he could conjure like a crowd of five hundred, right? Like at any rally to vote for anything. Like he had a lot of power, right? So the politicians, particularly the liberal and progressive ones, were really like tapping into that opportunity. Oh God! You know, this is the early nineteen sixties. The Cold War is really heating up. You start hearing about missiles and the and rocket ships and going to outer space and everything. And he's the idea of a nuclear holocaust really starts to hit him. And he convinces 150 of his followers to follow him to California, Redwood Valley. And he chooses California because apparently Esquire magazine said that was one of the nine uh, best places in the world you would want to be mm-hmm. uh, in the event of a nuclear holocaust. But it was like Eureka, California. It was Ukiah, I think. Oh, was it? Yeah. Oh. So yeah, and he could have just chilled there and just grown weed. Coulda, shoulda, woulda. Coulda, shoulda, fucking woulda. The article uh, continued to say that the city uh, escapes damages in the war games attack because it is west of the Sierras and upwind from every target in the United States. Which is one of the reasons why when you see when you hear about Murder Mountain and you hear about the Emerald Triangle, I mean, this is where was where he went. He went up there. And it's kind of a lawless place. People go there to because they're not into authority. So I think wild, wild. So I think this is yeah, and that's where the uh, humble five is. There are a lot of people who go missing over there. And he persuaded his congregation that they need to leave their California and warned of a nuclear attack. And then here's another thing that always happens. Not always happens, but if it happens, you gotta put a pin in it and say, you know what, this guy's probably not right. He puts a date on something, and you never put a date on something. What? Like why? Where'd the date come from? You don't Did put God the date you? on something. He said July fifteenth. We're gonna have a nuclear attack. Yeah. I think. By the way, July fifteenth like... is National Pancake Day. No, I don't. I don't, I, I don't know. That. I feel like. Do you think that they just like pick a day and they're like, oh, I hope it happens. Yeah, which is so dark. Like, you want that, you know. I know. No, it's a way to get you to do things. I hate to go back to Manson, but this is what he was doing. It was a way to get people to do things. He he was like, I'm going to be a, a rock star. Everybody came with him. When that fizzled out, he said, there's going to be a race war to yeah. get people to do them. It's happening right now. Right. And then it's it's not happening enough. We've got to start it. Yeah. And then... <laughs> It's going to happen, but we're going to make it happen. Yeah. He's a dickhead. But apparently... Who? Jim Jones or Charles Manson? Jim Jones well, and Charles Manson. Well, but Jim Jones had this apparent remarkable ability to speak 
In the Redwood Valley snakes. In tongues? To snakes. But in tongues? Because wouldn't that make sense? Because oh, snakes joke. have a tongue? Yeah. Yeah, totally. We're going to hear about that right now. When they brought that snake in here the other day, that rattler brought him in here and dropped it and just biting, hissing mad. All the people can tell you in Redwood Valley, I've got that snake tame. It won't kill anything anymore because I don't like killing. I don't even kill anything to eat. And that snake eats egg right out of my hand. He didn't like it. He fussed and hissed and... And I said, you cut that out and I'd spank his little belly. And now he just crawls around. He's five and a half foot long. He crawls around and lays on my shoulder. And any place people can handle him, anyone can touch him now. Why would you worry about a little old green snake when you got all these white two-legged devils running loose? And a whole lot of black ones, too. A whole lot of brown ones. So that was a little demonstration in Jim Jones's power over <laughs> no-legged reptiles. Pat- Bullshittery. Patting the snake on its belly and controlling it. Mm. And it really just, dis- that was very disturbing. Anyways, the flock moves with him to Redwood Valley. And then remember, this is 1967. So we have Vietnam. We have race riots. It was really a time of liberation. And that created truly the perfect climate for Jim Jones to do really well with his, you know, target recruitment demographic for his members. And he understandably like gained momentum really quickly and kind of outgrew Redwood and started moving towards San Francisco where he could get a stronger, larger foothold and explode his congregation. Yeah. And this isn't happening in a vacuum because a lot of people are thinking, well, where was the media when this mm-hmm. happened, because he only left with 145, 150 people yeah. from Indiana. He had a bigger congregation. What about those people? And the Indianapolis Star did do uh, exposés on this guy, especially after he left, and be like, you know what? And they, they started talking about brainwashing. They started talking about properties that he owned. But Jones was very good at sort of you know, maintaining this message. And also, remember, this is before the Internet. And that's really, right. really important mm-hmm. because you can't... <laughs> You know what, Jones? By the way, this, not... is, this is how Jonestown was. It's like you're trying to talk yeah. now. And Jim Jones's voice is yeah. over the loudspeakers. I was trying to queue up. Right, you're trying to queue up. <laughs> <laughs> We're leaving this in. That's what Jim Jones would do to people. That is. Pop That's right in. D- yeah. Yes. He'd be like, you have a free thought. No, you don't. Here's yeah. me talking about the end of the world. Nope. And, and he would, whenever he would attack the person who was criticizing him and say, that person is a liar, is a drug addict. You well, know, also, it's, it's like an us versus them kind of thing, too, where because there's so much racial segregation as well, you know, it's like they don't understand us or, you know, he was very progressive for what he was doing. So I'm sure that he was using those viewpoints as a power to kind of control the people that were following him. No, the, yeah. The blanket message is is a good one. Yeah. It's, all, it's all inclusive, which media, which which typically is going to be more liberal. Let's face it. Most people that work at newspapers are going to be a little bit more progressive. But they're 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 going to say, you know what, this is kind of a kind of a cool idea that what what this guy's doing. And they might not see all the the weird shit that's going on behind closed doors. 
Because from the front and the face of everything, he is doing good. But it's it starts to get there. Though, well, it gets milky. Good. Well, that's why you left anyways. To begin, mm-hmm. that's why he keeps leaving. Oh my god, one hundred percent. Okay, so anyways, they moved to San Francisco, and he started getting involved in liberal politics. And he would provide attendees to rally. So, like Alexis said, he could get hundreds of people to any political rally within like twenty minutes. So he had this crazy, crazy pull over people to follow him. And he, you know, was getting involved with super reputable politicians. Like I said, like Harvey Milk was attending some of, I don't know exactly what he was attending, but some of the things he was doing and the support His tight t-shirt rallies. Tight t-shirt? <laughs> Harvey Milk wore the tightest t-shirt. Oh, I know. It's so great though. And like high pants to the belt. I loved him. His fashion shows. <laughs> Harvey Milk's fine. Oh, I've never cried so hard in a movie as I did in Milk, Milk? by the way. Oh my God. That Marley and me... Marley and me ruined my Could life. not tell. I like it was uncontrollable sobs for both of those movies. De- Marley and me changed it, me. Marley and me ruined me, but Milk is such a good movie. Anyway, so I'm lactose intolerant. <laughs> okay, that was a dumb joke. So that was awful. Anyways, <laughs> I have nothing more to say. He just basically used <laughs> this to his advantage and the people's simple. I took French in high school, and I was so excited that we were going to France for Jack's wedding so I could practice my French, and it was only when I got there I realized just how rusty I'd gotten, and I wanted to communicate in French with the locals there so badly. If you can relate to this experience, then Rosetta Stone is right for you. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. You can choose from one of 25 languages like Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, and Polish. Fast track your language acquisition with immersive lessons designed to teach you to pick up languages in a quick and natural way. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Rosetta Stone is so convenient, and it can be used on your desktop computer or as an app, with audio companion and ability to download lessons offline. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the First Degree listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com first. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com first today. So if you're a super busy person and you don't have time to go to the gym, or maybe you just don't even want to go to the gym and work out in front of a bunch of different people, you need to check out the Aloe Moves app. I'm obsessed with this app. So it makes it easy to keep your wellness routine on track because they have everything in one place. There's yoga, there's Pilates, fitness classes, mindfulness, self-care tips, healthy recipes, and so much more. So either you're a beginner or you're an advanced person, Aloe Moves has the flow or class that will fit your schedule. Their classes range from five minutes to an hour, depending on what you're feeling that day. So even if you only have five minutes, you can just get some movement in. I used Allo Moves all during the pandemic. It was amazing. Like I was on my yoga journey and I was obsessed with it. So you can find stress relief with meditations, affirmations, face yoga, gua sha, dry brushing, and journaling for those quiet moments, even if you don't really want to get a workout on. And when it comes to sleep, it's just important as fitness and nutrition, and they've got you covered with Allo Moves. So unlock your personal wellness routine with Allo Moves. Go to Allo Moves dot com and use code first for an exclusive 30-day free trial and enjoy 20% off an annual membership. That's allomoves.com, code first, A-L-O-M-O-V-E-S.com, code first. 
Jim Jones is moving. I don't know if we've noticed this, but it's an escalation in terms of the size of the town and the communities and the reach to move from Indiana to Redwood Valley to San Francisco. And his flock is growing. So what exactly are his people witnessing when they go to his sermons? We'll give you a little taste of that. At this time we will receive our offering. Would you do me the kind favor because I'm not feeling my fingers or my lips and I'm speaking somehow I don't know how. <laughs> but uh, it's a kind of a strange feeling that I went through. First it was vomus, uh, vomitus and enormous pain, gastric pain. But as I said, it never caused me to get off my feet. You say, well, why do they do that to you? My, do you need to ask why they do that to me? They that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. They shall revile you. They shall say all manner of things falsely against you. They shall do unto them everything that they wish to do and even kill you thinking they do God a service. And if you're not getting persecution, you're not living godly. So I have my credentials. What about you? If you're not getting persecution, you ought to ask why. Because when you live for truth, you'll be persecuted. And if you're not getting persecuted, you're not living the just life. You're not in the body of Christ, the body of this revolution. Nothing happens just. Nothing just happens. Everything happens just. Out of the voice of Jesus himself, Jesus was a way shore to teach people how to live, to get their head out of the sand or out of the sky. He said, don't pray to go to heaven. And even Paul said, don't look up to go to heaven. He said, the righteous faith saith on this wise, the word, heaven, God, is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thine heart. Don't say who will go up to heaven and bring him down or who shall go into the deep and bring him up from the grave. But what saith it? The word is within thee. Heaven is on earth. That's the only heaven you'll find. God is here. That's the only God you'll know. If it is time for me to lay down my body, I will. But all the king's horses and all the king's men cannot bring me down until the time has come. At least it's the most reasonable thing that I find to believe. If you're going to get involved with religion, reincarnation is the most reasonable thing to believe in. Otherwise, God is a dirty old man that ought to be ra raped. Yeah. So do you think when he, like, starts these speeches, he has nothing planned, right? No, no. And he just starts blabbing out whatever shit comes to his head. No, he's riffing. It's like a Curb Your, epi <laughs> Curb Your Enthusiasm episode where it's, it's just like there's a beginning and an end and in the middle he's just going to go for and that's where you get God should be raped and as an old man and everything. Earlier? But like, what I the... just want to spank its belly. I'm like, are you out of your mind? I wonder if somebody can go through and like come up with like the best like fifth like a BuzzFeed article, like bank my belly and called me a snake. Jim Jones quotes <laughs> that like make no sense. Also, like, God is a dirty old man who should be raped? Yeah. And also, you're it's reverend. Like, and you're, like, that's what I said. Like, what religion is there? And he's is also going... Christianity thing? Or yeah, like, because he's, he's also going to reincarnation. Because what he said before that is that if you don't... If there's no reincarnation, reincarnation is what you should believe in. If not, God is a dirty old man who should be raped. Which goes again, which is not what Christianity teaches. There's no <laughs> re reincarnation is not a thing. Yeah. So... 
where is he going with all this? And you see this where he's gone. He, he's moved away from, you know, he, he has these people now. So he, he used the book, he used the Bible to get these people to follow him. Now that they're following him, he's like, I can throw away the script. Absolutely. And I can just do whatever I want. And now the craziness is really coming out. He just knew how to, it didn't matter what he was saying. He was impassioned. He was determined. And he was, you know. I mean, he was starting with the Bible, but he was also merging a bunch of different things together. You know, he was merging Pentecostal. He was merging Methodist. He was merging all, all of this stuff and kind of adding his own tinge to it. But he still had the Bible there. So he was use, he's using what people have either known and they knew as kids, but then they went away from, which mm-hmm. is God. And then he's adding his own thing to it. And then eventually he got such a hold of them that he was able to just put away God, put away everything, and then it's just him. Well, yeah, it's like starting with something familiar to kind of like latch on, and then once you're in, then he's like, all right, well. Well, Mm -hmm. totally, and he started saying, like, that's crazy, because people are like, God, like, sure, if God doesn't do this, then he's an old man. That's kind of, you know, whatever. People can, like, wrap their heads around whatever he's doing there. He started to say shit like, I'm the only heterosexual man in the world. I know that is the, that shit is so. What I, I will uh, sodomize men. I will sleep with women I've hated. I, he would say, <laughs> he, "We'll play it later, you guys." He would say, "I sleep with women I hate, even though they just lay there, and I like do the work." I will sodomize men, but I'm the only heterosexual man in the world. You're all homosexuals. Yeah, thinks- and people are like, "Uh huh." <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> if you say so. But like people, he, it wasn't what he said. It's how he said it. It is. Yeah. And he, I think he was mesmerizing and he was attractive. Mm, he was attractive. No, he wasn't. Yes, he was. I mean, I'm not physically attracted to him. <laughs> I'm just saying. You don't want to have sex with Jim Jones. No. A picture of him. No. He's attractive. I think he is. He looks like a like Henry Cavill. Some type person he does what he's not an ugly guy billy he looks like superman kind i mean no he does he's an attractive face you think that this guy is attractive that's him on drugs old <laughs> go like to when he was 20 yeah that's elvis when elvis is His like this is so puffy that <laughs> is oh, like that is a dried up bookie that you're showing me you need to go to when he was like 25 before the glasses and the drug abuse when before he was, the puffy face. Before the puffy face, he was attractive. Yeah, he was all right. Yeah. How, Powers Booth played them in the played him in the movie. Is he, he hot? Powers Booth. He's an attractive. Powers man. Booth. Is you don't know who Powers Booth? No. no. Do you not know who Powers Booth is? Because his name is offensive. Look up Powers Booth, and you're going to think he's Powers or Powers. Powers Booth. Like power. Powers Booth. Is this young enough for you? Yeah, he's attractive to me. Look at that hair. I like his hair. He had a full head of hair. But like, <laughs> stop, Alexis. That's the only sound that's allowed. Anyways, I wouldn't say he's hot. Uh, he you might remember Powers Booth from he played uh, curly. It was a curly bill. Uh, one of the, he played the bad guy in Tombstone. We're too young. For All that. things that I don't. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> How do I find Jim Fine, Jones? Right Jim here. Jones's height, and not Jim Jones the rapper, because Jim Jones the rapper is five eleven. All right. Well, you keep looking that up because we'll need to know that for this. We'll need to know how tall he is. Wait, that'll you need change to find, your perception. Is, is I bet you your... he was short. I bet you he was like it was like Napoleon syndrome. That does not. That would not shock me. And I bet Napoleon, he was tiny. Napoleon I bet he had a small dick. Was not that short. He was actually standard size. For how tall was he? Day. I don't know. He was like five seven or something. Five, six. Sounds like a little yeah, tall to me. Then. Sounds like somebody I would tower. The I'm over. like five ten. Okay, but back <sighs> then you guys oh, wouldn't. Uh, 
back then. We get our vegetables now. So let's talk about the kind of things that were going on. We just heard a service, right? That batch of crazy audio we just heard. Mm -hmm. So what was actually going on in there besides him preaching about rape and homosexuality and God knows what else? So he would do things like have his secretary from church dress up as though she had a spinal problem. Then in the middle of a crowd, he would command her to stand up and walk. And she, you know, she pretends she was in a wheelchair, like hunched over like a invalid. And he'd point and be like, walk, my servant. <laughs> you do a good Jim Jones. <laughs> walk right now. And she like her head would lift up. I saw this in documentary. Her head would lift up and she would slowly stand. And then she'd like walk a little and get excited and the crowd would go wild. And then she'd like jog a little and the crowd would go wild. And then she'd like gallop. And the crowd would melt down, (laughs) melt down. And these people, she would dance and like people were going crazy, writhing on the floor. They had the same lady at every one of these. Like, did anybody catch on? I think so. I think they have different people. He was good. Again, there's no internet. That's no true. internet. It didn't go viral. And yeah, you're was, not on Snopes. But the, he was filming all this, but no one was no one was sharing it. It but was just for is, him. But you know, people that have gone to multiple of his rallies, when they'd be like, "Eh, I saw that girl walk last week." You'd think. You would think. I mean, you got to put a wig on someone. It was just different times. Yeah, that's true. Different times, and I just think these people. Remember, it was like a time of segregation, of revolution. And I think they just really wanted to believe because this guy was saying everything they wanted him to say, everything right. that spoke to them. These people were like being totally oppressed. So it's like, how can this guy who is like the rest of the people who look like him are oppressing me? And he's saying all these amazing things about including me in equality and then also curing. They want to believe him. Making miracles happen. They want to believe him. They cannot succumb to the idea that he's a fraud because they will lose their mind. He had his followers basically wrapped around his finger. These people started turning over their homes, their bank accounts. And the craziest thing is he would have these blank pieces of paper and people would just sign them and he would basically use these signatures to blackmail them. And they're writing these false confessions about how they're molesting their own children. So they had them if they ever tried to leave, which is so messed up. But it's also something that they're recently doing in that Nexium cult. It was the same thing where people were giving like false confessions that they'd use as blackmail. I'm mm-hmm. sure it's something that they probably do in a lot of cults. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, there's one probably, you know, just down the street that they say uses that as well. Well, I was thinking of Scientology like that whole time. Scientology. Scientology. <laughs> <laughs> like, give me everything. All your things. Yeah. Billy? <sighs> yes. So he's using he, he's using these aspects of Pentecostal, Pentecostalism, which is... You know, the healing and the uh, charismatic Christianity, which isn't isn't charismatic in the way that Alexis is saying where he's good looking and she would follow him wherever. (laughs) It's charismatic meaning that – I like that kind of charisma. (laughs) It's charismatic meaning that – I follow like Chris Hemsworth's cult. Oh, my God. Or like the Jason Momoa cult. Jason Momoa. (gasps) I will join your your island cult. You can have my credit cards, my – House that I don't have. Anyways, you are a god of the sea turtle, and I will follow you. He hot. So, in a charismatic religion, what you're seeing <laughs> Billy is that the deity hates that he's a part of this podcast. The, the, de- the deity is actually it, it's is is choosing to directly 
uh, interact with the people in the congregation. So you don't want to ever go against that because if you actually start believing that, then you're seeing that this guy is speaking directly to God and God is is acting through him. So if you reject this guy, you're rejecting, rejecting God, God. yeah. And you're rejecting the all-powerful, et cetera. You can't have that. Mm-mm. So the punishments start. With those who are repenting, writing lines about remorse for whatever rule they broke, but the punishments quickly moved on to corporal punishment, public beatings. Jones would laugh like an amused child as people were beaten until they were bloody. A super high-pitched laugh, like, hey, hey, hey. Like, I'm not kidding. I, that was a really bad <laughs> Wow, you should Did that really make get... him hotter for you. No, he made it made me. Him, it was a turn off. Oh, that was it was that a turn off. I still think he's hot. You guys, I'm not attracted to Jim Jones. <laughs> I'm just saying, if I saw a picture of him, I wouldn't be like hideous man. Listen, mm. you I'm love like, Jim Jones. I'm not like he's a man who loves man. the album or anything. <laughs> yeah, don't turn this back on me. Listen, this is, the, the this is your episode. The darkness comes out in all of us. I can't wait for mine. I don't know what it's going to be, but you it'll love be... Ted Bundy. Everybody loves. I don't love. Yeah, that's not like a. Her reaction is everybody. I don't. Everybody (laughs) thinks Ted Bundy's hot. That's his thing. That was his thing. That was his thing. He was a good-looking guy, and he wore a uh, turtleneck. And he drove a little bug. He didn't try to get into politics, did he? He was in politics. He was. He was a young Republican, um, wasn't he? Yeah, and he actually worked on the law to make (laughs) hitchhiking illegal. Like he, he wanted to keep that going because. That's how he got his. GSK, didn't he, wasn't GSK he also, worked on the anti-burglary task force? That's what they do. Didn't he also work at the anti-suicide hotline? Place? He did. With yeah. Ann Rule. With Ann Rule. Yeah. Rest in peace. The first first degree. That's right. Connection she, she, in the world. She's our patron. Saint. She's the archetype. She I don't. I wouldn't say she's the first one, but she's the first she, one that actually in the true crime world. That sure. like yeah. yeah. Originally went archetype. out and did her thing. Absolutely. Yeah. I would say probably it'd be Adam. Would be the first degree who connection. Adam, Adam and Eve? Yeah, who's the father of Cain. What? Who killed Abel. All right. <laughs> There's a snake in that story, too. There is. <laughs> Wait, we're talking and about Adam. And, and the belly right? of a snake. Yes. All right. So, um, Jones, uh, you know, we got sexual abuse, uh, psychological abuse, breaking people down, embarrassment. He would make couples divorce and then pick who they would remarry. Ew. Again, this is about. Insane. This is about control. Mm hmm. He starts uh, sleeping with women followers, multiple women followers, as well as men. Even though he's children, the only heterosexual He'll man. sleep with 13-year-olds, children of, Nasty. you know, followers, just know he does whatever he wants. Yeah. Especially when they were traveling back on the bus across the country to recruit more members. Mm-hmm. I read that he had, even though it was a shared bus, it was a bus like we've all been on, he had like a blanketed portion in the back. That he could just have sex in? That was just his. Like, he got, like, this giant sprawling area where everybody else was, like, crammed like sardines. And this this happened in Jonestown, too, where he had, like, a, his own cottage and everybody else was, like, living in squalor. And he would be like, I want to talk to so-and-so, like a 10-year-old, 13-year-old, whatever, and go back there and have sex with them. Yeah. And he would be like, this repulses me. I'm not doing it for me. This is so you can get to know yourself. Ew. Oh. So he does it with, like, an insult. You know, like disgusting. It's a nightmare. Ew. It's a total nightmare. Now we're in around 1973. And this is right around the time when he first starts toying with the idea of a suicide practice. So I don't know where he came up with it. I don't know biblically, you know, Billy, if there's something, you know, who comes up with something like this? Because this is kind of, un- I haven't heard of mass suicides before or not, revolutionary, not aspect, yeah. revolutionary suicide before Jonestown. But he starts toying with this idea. And what I mean, he, I mean, do you, do you really want to know? 
Sure. Uh, there's the story of Masada in uh, the Old Testament, where it was a uh, ancient fortification in Israel, and they were surrounded, and they all committed suicide to not be captured. And that is kind of the the thing that people look towards as a kind of mass suicide. Mm. And you you know you've got stuff too in the samurai as well. Forty seven Ronin oh, really? mass suicides that mm. kind of thing. Yeah, well, but it's not. Yeah, again, this wasn't a mass suicide though, but. Yeah, but this in, was a murder, but yeah. Yes, but in Masada, it was the the troops of the Roman Empire around the first Jewish Roman War, and ends in a mass suicide of like nine hundred and fifty people. The thing is about this, though, and when you look at it as a whole, and as I was researching in depth, and this took me a long time to get to know, like all this information, what it really appears to me to be is like a mass grooming, mm-hmm. because what he did was. These same members for for years and years, what he would do is call of his followers together, ask them if the cause was worth dying for. He would mimic this idea of like a commun a communion, give them wine, like drink the body of Christ type shit. I'm not saying that's exactly what he said, but that was the a spirit of what he was doing. Mm-hmm. And then after people would, he would be like, you just drank poison and just wait to see how people reacted. Yeah. Based on that, he would gauge people's loyalty and he would praise the ones who did well and shun the ones who did poorly. And he would do this so often. People didn't take it seriously after a while. It's really a loyalty test. It started to... Well, it's like the boy who cried wolf, basically. It's like you're going to do it so many times well, and they're going to... the first time, it's horrific and you're freaking out. But then it starts to like... It starts to really like uh, neutralize the horror of what that person is even insinuating. Mm-hmm. You get so used to it. Well, it normalizes it. And it, and yeah. it, and it becomes exactly. a routine. It's like, exactly. okay, this yeah, is what we're going to do. So this is the problem where people get confused with the Jonestown massacre. This was grooming for years. This is what happens. The first time, a couple of people freak out and say, F- you, oh my God, I'm going to die. This is terrible. Those people get ostracized. But it was a whole just joke, mm-hmm. right? The next time, those people don't freak out. They drink it and half of them speak out. The next time, it, it's a joke. Okay, this is just a, a loyalty practice, whatever. The next time, it's half fewer speak out so slowly he's getting the people on board without even them realizing it because they're like this well, isn't no, it, real it is a way for him to get them to trust him oh absolutely like it's, it's, like, a it's total, like a like, really big loop it's a, around it's a peer pressure run yeah. amok situation though because it's like it's mass grooming yeah and you don't want to be the outcast who gets berated in front of the group and beaten bloody as a punishment mm-hmm. because you stood up for yourself. So it's like, people- and up until then, it's like, okay, well, we're not going to actually get hurt. We're not going to drink any sort of a poison. So, like, I'm sure in their own minds, they're probably like, yeah. I'm the one that's freaking out and being but, irrational. But but there's a there's a difference between, and this is foreshadowing of what happens because there is a major event that happens I'm pretty sure you know, everybody there, knows there, what happens there is no no, no. I've done but there, years ago. Sorry, sorry spoiler alert but what he's saying is and it's very much like medea in in ancient greek where he's saying that i need to take your lives and we all need to take our lives because i i don't want somebody else to do it for them mm-hmm. you know and that's that's kind of like what was happening in masada which actually wasn't that was an old testament that was like that was after old testament that was actually it was actually after new testament it's like 60th or 70th <laughs> ad sorry but um <laughs> but, but it was um 
All right, you know what? I'm just trying to class up the joint with with some. No, listen, you're the only smart. Well, no, you guys are both smart. I'm the dumb one in here. I'm crying. But you make more money than us. Though. Alexis is smart in true crime. You're worldly smart. I need self esteem. <laughs> Do you need self esteem? <laughs> Can I have some self esteem, please? <laughs> one order of self esteem. I need self esteem. I hey, just know a, nothing. You about know what? Religion. There's a cult that you might want to join. Which one? See, that's what happens. That's how it goes <laughs> right there. Next is still going. True crime is a cult. Also, Scientology, again, down the street. Just go on watch. The Celebrity Center is open all out. Want to take a personality test? If you guys have uh, never... Obviously, I have 2,000 Instagram followers, but none of you have seen me. So I dress like a Scientologist, and I was over there by Kaiser, where the Scientology Center is, and someone like... You weren't dressed as a Scientologist on purpose. You were just That's just how I dress. Yeah. And a Scientologist thought I was a Scientologist and like ran up to my window and I and we're like, oh my god, you're not a Scientologist. Like, no. Like, goodbye. I was like, what? And I looked at his outfit and it was the same as mine. (laughs) And I was like, oh my god, accidental Scientologist. (laughs) It was terrible, but also I felt good because I'm like, they look like polished (laughs) motherfuckers. (laughs) <laughs> You're like my outfit inspo is Scientology. Well, like if you didn't, if you didn't and know David what Scientologists wore, you just think I looked chic, and you think they would too. They just—they literally just look like they're wearing uniforms. So you're Disney bounding Scientology. You're I Disney don't know. What? Disney bounding, you know what that is? Disney bounding? Yeah. What is no. a Dis- Disney? It's bind? like to dress up like a Disney character. Of course, but- you would know what this. Is. <laughs> But not necessarily, uh, not overtly. Uh, so you're like you're, I'd wear like a yellow dress and be like I'm Disney bounding Belle. Con- or yes, like Alice yes. In Wonderland, like a blue apron. Yes, but yeah. a lot of stuff though, like every everything like in your ensemble. But in your own way. I just said ensemble, by the way. <laughs> everything has to. You are fitting everything right has in. to match. But has to match. Has to mean? match within the the character. So like I Disney ensembled dumb and Disney dumber. bounded. Oh, okay. <laughs> you did Lilu a few years ago. No, but I was like that was like to the T. But when I was Dumb and Dumber, I did like the Jack version of Dumb and Dumber, and I was Lloyd Christmas, and I wore like uh, blue underwear. Yeah. And like a uh, blue crop top and like a fun top hat, but it was my version of it, so I Disney bound it. Yeah. But does it have to be a Disney character? No, you can do any any sort of character, but it, it started with Disney bounding. Mm. That's that's the, it's, the, it's kind of like a, because you're not allowed to dress up as the characters when you go there because that would be creepy. Something uh, you probably have done. You know, it's also no, creepy. I've never done it's that. like a mid forties man going to Disneyland. I've not been to Disneyland in five years. I'll have you know. <laughs> You just like talking about it a lot. I'm Did too... you go to Disney World when the like the crocodile? Like, the yes, I was boy. at Disney World yes, when the crocodile. The yes, we've talked about this in the podcast. Yes, you can read about it. In the Did we talk about it on the podcast? Did it make it onto the podcast? I don't think so. But Billy, right. tell us about Jim Jones and his drug use. <laughs> <laughs> and if you don't know, let me know, and I'll tell you. Uh, he wore a lot of sunglasses. Well, people say he wore sunglasses. There's like a lot of like urban legends around it. I know. But it was because he was on f- drugs. Yeah, because his, his eyes pupils were dilated, down. and they're yeah. probably red as shit. Exactly. So probably looked like he was tweaking balls because he, he was, was. He was ranting like a crazed lunatic. He would do uppers, downers. He would not. Sleep. How he did not somehow accidentally kill himself before is is a miracle. No, his will to take others' lives. His kept him will alive. to kill everybody else and bring him down with him. But his paranoia grew increasing he thought the cia was watching as him. one thought, does when you're doing a f- the of fbi was watching him he just became unhinged and as a result became more violent more intense in all of the propensities he already had which was controlling abusive sadistic 
megalomania, like everything was heightened when he was on drugs. No one really knows when he started them, like exactly when. Yeah. Or what, I don't think he ever stopped, but you see his behavior escalating in his violence controlling nature. And you have to just assume that drugs played a part in that. Of course they did. And he also used drugs against um, uh, the people at Jonestown too, didn't he? Like he gave them drugs? Yeah, yeah. Well, when people started to speak out in in the same vein, no pun intended, of when uh, the punishments increased, he would inject people who were too mm-hmm. outspoken with God knows. And I don't know where he was getting his well, drugs. Well, that's what happened like during the massacre as yes, well. Yes, he would yeah. sedate the really outspoken ones and throw them in like an infirmary hut. Right. And just keep them <laughs> drugged up so that they couldn't cause too much of a ruckus. I'm shocked he didn't kill them, honestly. Bizarro world. At the height of its popularity in the 70s, the temple had up to thousands of members, and it was courted by local politicians in San Francisco, including Harvey Milk, which I talked about before. I just love Harvey Milk. I love his t-shirts. I love him. I love his little belly. (laughs) (laughs) This is a fashion episode. (laughs) It really is. We've talked about fashion so much. There was an article I saw when we were researching the source Uh that was like, cult fashion is in. I'm like, you sick well, the Source family was known for their fashion, though. Makes me sick. Glorifying cults. No, that wasn't glor. But they were in the 70s. They were known for their fashion. I love an no, all-white it was, look. A, it was a, like, it's back. So as Jim Jones was getting f***ed up out of his mind, People's Temple was at its height. And during the 1970s, they had a membership of about a couple thousand. And they were courted by local politicians in San Francisco, including my favorite Harvey Milk, which we've talked about. And in August of 1977, New West Magazine published an expose using former disciples' testimonies to build up a picture of fake healings and real humiliations of beatings and financial impropriety. And this is like the first crack in the veneer. In well, public veneer. Did, weren't you saying that no, there, there, there's there been were others, other There's been others, like, but then he moved. But then, then he, moved. You know, he keeps on, he works on trying to discredit. Yeah. And if it gets too hot, then he'll leave. Exactly. And he he starts to feel like it's getting too hot now. It's at this point, when this expose comes out, that the politicians who once called on him to get people to rallies and things like that start kind of distancing themselves from him. Like, holy shit, I'm not sure it's worth this. Uh, Nutcase. I'm not sure these votes or whatever or the support at rallies is worth, like, the liability that this nutcase may be. And then what you often start seeing another red flag is paranoia. Mm-hmm. So the media is going against him. He starts talking about moving his followers somewhere really far away from the United States. And he's looking at different places to go to. And he chooses Guyana. Now, nobody really knows where Guyana is uh, in America. They had no idea. It's uh, right next to Venezuela. It's an English speaking country and land was cheap. But the most important thing for him was that it was isolated, not only isolated from the media, which was scrutinizing him at the time, or the politicians who had all abandoned him, but he was isolating individuals from their families. Mm-hmm. Everything I've read about Guyana in preparation for this story is that it is so humid. I'm from the East Coast, where in the summers it's really humid. This has been described as being humid on another level. And to get there to the plot of land that would be Jonestown, it required 20 hours over the ocean, nine hours of, up a river, two hours on a flatbed truck, and one hour up a dirt road 
in a vehicle. Jesus. And once they did get there, they were expecting this paradise that Jim Jones had promised them. But there was nothing. I mean, this was just a thick plot of land that was jungle wilderness. And they all realized at this point that they'd be building a town from scratch. And everyone worked 18 hours a day and started seeing the fruits of their labor. Interestingly, this part of how uh, the members felt, like everything I've read and watched, it sounds like it sucked. uh, But a lot of them refer to this period of time where they were building Jonestown as some of the best days of their lives. In that, like, there was a lot of family. They were banding together and accomplishing this incredible goal. And a lot of the people cherished the fact that they were building their own town, separate from the social constructs of the United States. And Stephen Jones, like I mentioned before, Jim Jones' biological son, he himself said it was the happiest time of his entire life. And they were growing crops. They had pigs. They had chickens. They were living off the land. And it seemed that they were building this property really successfully. And when I was talking to Jim Jones Jr. and Jeff Gwynn, who was the executive producer on the new Sundance documentary series on on Jonestown, they both said that many, many people have tried to create settlements in this exact kind of wilderness and tried to like grow crops and were really unsuccessful. Mm. And that like, it's kind of incredible that they were able to they do were it actually able yeah. to do it because apparently like they've tried to um not industrialize this area but even just like inhabit it and make it more livable and, and and it's still as it was so it's really incredible that jim jones was able to cultivate the kind of i don't know positive attitude work ethic whatever you want to call it to be able to get this done right and one of my favorite things is mr mugs I thought you'd like that. And that was their pet chimpanzee that they had down there named Mr. Muggs. And here's the thing. Jim Jones claimed that he had rescued him from scientific experiments. But in reality, he actually purchased him from a pet store, which is pretty much kind of how everything goes down there. Totally. Like everything that seems amazing and almost miraculous is pretty much bought from a store. It's total facade. And a fun fact is when Jim Jones lived in Indiana, he sold pet monkeys door to door, which is just such a great coincidence to Mr. Muggs. Billy caught a stolen monkey once. You did? Uh, I worked on a true crime story for the New York Times, and it was a stolen monkey. Yes, but why (laughs) do we not have, and that was at a pet store, why do we not have monkeys salesmen door to door anymore? I mean, I think that's something that... Because you should not be having monkeys as pets? They'll rip like, your face off. They're like people. They're also they very know, vicious. They know sign language. Mm. They know. Yep, because Coco. a 1973 article from the Temple Reporter actually said that Mr. Muggs, at only 18 months old, he has the intelligence of a four-year-old child. It may sound anthropomorphic, but Muggs will follow every command of Pastor Jones and will defend him when anyone comes up casually to pet the chimpanzee. Uh-uh. Anthropomorphic is an amazing word. It is. That I've never heard before. Really? Use it in a sentence besides that one. Like a lot of the Disney characters are anthropomorphic. Jack, you use it in a sentence. No. <laughs> are they, though? Yeah. I think he just made that up because we can't Google real quick because then we'll get distracted and lose our train of thought. Yeah, because you're all eating cup of noodles and you don't want to You're get eating cup of noodles. noodles. <laughs> so, Jonestown. He preached this very paradise-like, incredible, idyllic living. And he intended to document 
said living in said Jonestown and send it back to the United States for his other followers and members who are not able to join him yet and other potential members to see. It's a recruitment video. Yes. So let's hear what Jim Jones says about the Jonesy town. Jonesy town. This is a heating lamp. These are the small chickens in another one of the coops besides the eight coops. These are small babies that we've just took, uh, that just been hatched. These are chickens. Again, a different breed of chickens that just hatched. In addition to the eight other chicken houses, see the heating units to keep them warm. Everything modern, modern automatic water feeders. Everything clean floor base with floor, uh, the chip wood chips that we can. Uh, the six inches of those that we remove so that we can keep absolutely uh, sanitary condition. We've lost none of these chickens either. This is a feed barn packed with, for the thousands and thousands of chickens we now have, and there's the pasture for our cattle. Back over here is the area that we're clearing for, uh, way to my right, Mike, is the area that we're clearing for more planting. Potatoes and carrots and edos and uh, papaya, citrus, all kinds of various fruit trees that you've never heard of in your life. And I would these fences we made all of ourselves, so there was hardly any cost to them. We lumbered our own wood. No, wood you see standing is not dead wood. It's been purposefully made that way, prepared for lumbering, so we can build housing for all of our beautiful family. That's Anthony. He is so delightful worker. He's a farm supervisor over the many, many dozens of employees we have. There's pasture way back several miles. Our property is, you know, 12 miles long, 7 miles wide. There arose only a few pigs. Many we have in Jonestown. The youngsters in with the piglets. No, 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 don't pat them. Just rub them. Rub them. That's it. That's a nice goat. Yeah, we got all kinds of nice little piglets. And here's Charlie the Boar in the background. This is one of the many generators that we've purchased with our sweat and blood. We have generators all over our property that gives us power for everything we need. This is the cassava mill, which we are now making over 30 U.S. dollars a day in sauces. And we're doing it on just handmade bases. We're going to get some equipment to do... Uh, make noodles also, which will be fantastic. Then we'll be able to talk more in the big money. background is the powdered cassava, which we make flour from, we make cornstarch uh, type from, we make our sauces from. All that that looks like just dust. That's all of our ground. This is the way it may is if it's what it ought to be. The American managers are nothing like these. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Right, Jim? Yeah. Oh, we have row after row of these. Whole warehouse full. We even sell bananas now also because we're trying to make money. We need money so badly to take care of all of our family, to save them. So from the outside, Jonestown looked like it was really coming together. In the videos, Jim was eating fruit that he claimed he grew in Jonestown, and people seemed happy, and the accommodations seemed luxurious. There were children in their quaint little school house learning there were musical performances on stage group meals that appear to be feasts with lots of smiles and laughter and he was filming all this and sending these videos back to the states to recruit more followers and more did come right but we're not going to kid ourselves this place was primitive archaic no one had ever lived there the plumbing was non and they were in the middle of the jungle imagine the insects the animals but regardless of all that, Jim Jones was making these videos depicting what Jonestown was. And it's a bit of what you heard. And I think what a lot of people fail to realize is that he controls all of the technology and communication and information that move between Jonestown and the United States. So his followers had very few options when it came to sending word back to home to family members. 
So if they were miserable, if they did want to come back, they had very little options as far as expressing that distaste for the situation they were in. Did they let them write like letters or whatever? But that I don't know. Hmm. But I know they had no phones, no radios, no Nobody passports had phones back then. Yeah. No. And but they had no phones at all. Yeah. You know. So much so that when they all got there, he took their passports away. Right. Mm. So they were stuck there. They're in this remote jungle. They're miles and miles away from anything, and they can't communicate with anyone back home. He finally had the control that he has been wanting. He thought he had it in Indiana. He thought he had it in California. Now he's like, I've got it. These people built me this this place, and obviously he was living good. They weren't, he and he had burned he had burned their boats. Totally. And he used scare tactics to tell people, like, if you go into the jungle, the Guyanese hate us. They will kill you. Oh, yeah. If you go I mean, out, same thing about America. Totally. He was saying that people are being put in concentration camps and shit in America. Like, Absolutely. But even to be like, don't wander into the jungle yeah. and try to escape, they'll f***ing kill you. And it's like, that's why when people say this is a mass suicide, it's like, think about the option these people thought they had. It's just an had. easy thing to say when you don't know Right. But like they, they had so little hope. They thought they truly believed that they were out of options. Yeah. Imagine this f***ing nonsense being blasted over a speaker pretty much all day. Like it was pretty much 24 hours a day. That is enough to make somebody go absolutely mad. And Jim Jones certainly did. <laughs> Obviously. And, you know, he had this incredible ability to control and isolate people. And... Obviously, we know what happens next, but we're going to stop here Mm -hmm. for part one. But we have so much for you in part two. I mean, this is when shit is about to get crazy and shit's going to hit the fan. And we really get into the meat of what happened with our first degree guests because they were there. They survived it. And you guys are really going to want to hear what happened to them and how they reacted to everything that happened. Until next week, if anybody out there has a first degree connection to a murder or other stranger than fiction story, please write us at hello at the first degree podcast.com. DM us on Instagram at Jack Vanek at Alexis Linkletter at Billy Jensen at the first degree, or you can write us submissions on our website. So, uh, (laughs) and happy national 12 hour fresh breath day. We're feeling good in the house of Jones today. 